0: Dr. Jason Lancaster.
1: When I was a senior in high school at Richland High School in the North and Hills, Texas area, I thought I was really cool, but I lived a life of rampant sin. And my world came crashing down when one day, while I was a senior in high school, a fellow student threatened to kill me. And it really freaked me out and scared me to death. And I needed help really bad. So I attempted to do what I'm going to call this morning the God thing. You can write that down if you want. I attempted to do the God thing. And by that, I meant I was going to turn to God for help, but on my own terms. So here's what I did. I mean, I wasn't a believer in Jesus, but I thought that God could somehow help me. So I drove to Kmart, remember Kmart? And I went to this uh, section where there's religious pictures of Jesus, lots of them. I put some on layaway and I took some home. And I took all those pictures home and I put them in my walls all around my room because I thought somehow pictures of Jesus would help me and protect me. I was doing the God thing because also in my room, was a variety, a number of sinful things. But I didn't care. I saw no contradiction. I was doing the God thing. And in addition to that, I drove around town in a Chevy Cavalier. <laughs> yeah, great car. And I, I would have, um, I had really loud music. I, this generation probably wouldn't understand it, but I had two 15s in the back. That's bass, never mind, overlooked that. Um, So I would listen to the, and I was doing the God thing, so I was still scared. And so I would blast in the 80s, blast Amy Grant. And in in addition to Amy Grant, I would also listen to the most filthiest music you've ever heard. Both. Because I was doing the God thing. Because surely this is going to work for me. And I want to tell you, it wasn't working. And I remember my... 17, 18 year old self kind of cradled up in a ball in my room, afraid, scared, about to cry, didn't know where to turn because the God thing was not working for me. But now I'm a believer. I believe in Jesus Christ. Most of you believe in Jesus Christ. But every single one of us, even as believers, can attempt to do the God thing where we think we can manipulate God to do what we want Him to do on our own terms. And the book of Hebrews is written to a church who was attempting to do the God thing because they are being so pressured and so squeezed, they're wondering, can't we just follow God without really, you know submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ? Isn't there a a kind of a workaround where we can be religious and God's going to help us, and yet we don't have to kind of be all in and doing what he, he wants us to do? And they were tempted to bail on Jesus. And I am praying and asking that God would take his word this morning And many of us who think we can get God to do what we want him to do on our terms and we can kind of mix our lives with some religion here and there that God will reveal to us that the God thing is actually just your own thing where you are trying to play God. And may he convict us and may we be so excited and full of joy that when we end today, we're all in following Jesus Christ, bowing to him alone. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at Hebrews and something that we've been wanting to talk about for several weeks. In fact, the author of Hebrews has been wanting to talk about it for several, several chapters. He wants to tell them about the high priesthood of Jesus in the order of Melchizedek. And you may think that is so boring, but I'd love to introduce you to a woman in our church this morning she told me she's been waiting for weeks to hear about Melchizedek. And she's so excited to be here today just to hear about Melchizedek. And that's awesome. I want that to be everybody. Like, I just can't wait. Tell me about Melchizedek. It's gonna be good. And that's what the author's been wanting to do. He wanted to tell him, he says, it's like, you need to hear this about the high priesthood of Jesus and the order of but I can't tell you because you're too immature. You're thinking about bailing on Jesus. And so then several chapters, he's warning them, don't fall away from Christ, don't fall away from Christ, don't fall away from Christ. He warns them, warns them, warns them, encourages them. And instead he's like, okay, finally, I can tell you, but I would have been trying to tell you. And so we begin with Hebrews chapter seven, starting in verse one. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, Who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils. Abraham was returning from war and he met a historical figure named Melchizedek. I don't know why parents don't name their sons that. It is a great name, very biblical too. So Melchizedek met Abraham and blessed Abraham, and then Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of all his spoils and plunder from the war. Melchizedek was this rare combination because he was a king and a priest. He was the king of Salem, and he was a priest of the Most High God. That means he's the priest of the same God as Abraham. Now, this is before Israel is established as a nation. That's in the future. This is before the Levitical priesthood. At this moment, he is the king and the priest of God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And, of course, what we're going to see is Melchizedek is a great figure that resembles a son of God because Jesus is also a king and a priest. But that's not the point. Verse 2. To whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils was first of all by the translation of his name, King of Righteousness, and then also King of Salem, which is King of Peace. The name of Melchizedek can be broken down into two parts. The first part of his name, Melech, refers to king, and the second part, Zedek, refers to righteousness. So you put it together, Melchizedek means King of Righteousness but he was also called the king of Salem, and Salem means peace. So not only does his name mean king of righteousness, but also king of peace. Obviously, these two phrases can be referred to the king Jesus, who's also the king of righteousness and also the king of peace. But in case you're wondering, this is not a pre-incarnate Christ. Michalzadek, real historical figure, who is like Christ we shall see. But that's still not the main connection. The main connection is in verse 3. Verse 3, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. We don't know his parents. We don't know where he came from. We have no record of his birth or his death. Neither his father or his mother are listed in Scripture. Does that mean that this guy in the Old Testament, Melchizedek, didn't have parents? No, no, I'm not saying that at all. He had parents. We just don't know who they were because they were not listed in Scripture. So in a sense, we could say he's without genealogy. We don't know where he came from. We have no record of him dying. Does that mean that he wasn't born and then he didn't die? No, no. It means that since we don't see this in scripture, it's like he has no beginning of days and no end of life. So what's happening here is the author of Hebrews is arguing from silence. He is highlighting from the scriptures what it does not say about Melchizedek in order to prove his point. So here we have a royal priest in the Old Testament whose name means king of righteousness, king of peace, no parents listed in scripture, no genealogy, no beginning of life and no end of life at all. And you're kind of wondering, what's the point? Why are you telling us this? The point is at the end of verse three. If you want to underline it, this is the point. But made like the son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. The emphasis is on how Melchizedek, resembles the Son of God, not how the Son of God resembles Melchizedek. The point is not to highlight Melchizedek, but to highlight Jesus. And the main focus of the highlight is on the eternality of his priesthood. Melchizedek's birth and death are not recorded, so that gives off the sense and the feeling of eternality, which points to the real eternal priesthood of Christ. Now of course Michalzadek was born, and of course he died. It's just not mentioned in scripture which leads one to think about the eternal priesthood of Jesus. And the author feels justified in making this interpretation because he knows Psalm 110.4 which we saw earlier. Psalm 110.4 points to the eternality of the priesthood of Jesus in the order of Melchizedek. And it's referenced in Hebrews 5.6. Hebrews 5.6 says, and he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And also in Hebrews 6.20, he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The idea is that Jesus' priesthood is eternal and the example of Melchizedek is used to highlight the eternality of Jesus' priesthood. Point is this, Jesus has an eternal priesthood and is a high priest forever. So what? Eternality of his priesthood, he's a high priest forever, so what? When I have... done something with my kids called a catechism. Do you know what a catechism is? You ask them a theological question, and they give you a theological answer, and this is the way you train them to think theologically through the Word of God. And one of the catechism questions is this. Let me, let me put up the Q&A for you, okay? It's this. It says, why do you need Christ as your priest? And the answer is, because I'm guilty of breaking God's law. You see, that's how the catechism works. So why do you need Christ as a priest? And the kid would say, because I'm guilty of breaking God's law. And so uh, humor me, let me catechize you, all right? So I'm going to ask you the question, and you give me the answer. You got this? It's really simple, okay? Here's the question. Why do you need Christ as your priest? (laughs) Because I'm guilty of... All right, Please tell me you remember that anyway, so. Do you realize that your number one problem in life is a guilt before God, a guilty of breaking his law? You have lied, you have coveted, you've committed adultery through lusting, you've taken the Lord's name in vain, you worshiped idols, you've stolen in a variety of other ways, you and I have broken God's law. And your question is, well, how can Jesus help us? Well, he's the priest. What does that mean? Well, he's the one that laid down his life for us, is buried and rose again after he bore the wrath of God on the cross. And now he's ascended and he's at the right hand of the Father and he's still praying for us or interceding for us through his eternal, perpetual, eternal forgiveness of sins through his life, death and resurrection, okay? So that's why it's important to focus on the eternal priesthood of Jesus, All right, Now, why in the world is he talking like this? Because if you read some of the other books uh, in the New Testament, you don't see this kind of argument do you like why is this author bringing this up like no other author in the new testament it's because the hebrews the church there were tempted to do the god thing they're they're trying to determine whether they want to follow christ or not right they kind of want to have this relationship with god on their own terms and here's the real temptation they're thinking about going back to their old Jewish ways. They're thinking about returning to the Levitical priesthood, which is not eternal and is passing away. They were tempted to turn back to this inferior, temporary Levitical priesthood in a way for the eternal priesthood in Jesus. And why? You gotta ask, why in the world would you wanna do that? Why would you wanna go from this inferior temporal system and, and, and go back to that? And here's the deal. Here's why. They were attempting, you listen to this, they, they were attempted to think that they could have a relationship with God without Christmas and Easter. They were thinking they could have a relationship with God without Christmas and Easter. Now, it's totally the opposite of what we see in American churches. They think, well, I can have a relationship with God and I'll show up for church just on Christmas and Easter, right? But they were thinking, you know, we can follow God And we don't really need Jesus because it's the whole Jesus who's getting us into so much trouble. Because they are being persecuted. They are being pushed. Maybe by some of those in Judaism where they left and they're saying, you guys are fools for following Jesus. And maybe they're tempted to think, let's just go back to the old ways. We were good. We weren't being challenged. We weren't being persecuted. And so their temptation is to do the God thing and revert back to their old ways. And that's why the author continues over and over again to present the superiority of Jesus over the things in Judaism. Do you remember this? That's kind of been the argument the whole time. Do you remember? Jesus is superior to the angels. Jesus is superior to the angels. To Moses. Jesus is the one who gives them superior and the greatest rest. He offers the greater sacrifice and he offers a greater covenant. And here we have Jesus is the superior, eternal priest forever. And so if you do the God thing, trying to follow him on your own terms, he's saying, Hebrews, you leave Jesus, you're doomed. You will face wrath, hell forever because you're turning away from the superior sacrifice, the superior priest of Jesus, and you're going back to the inferior Levitical priesthood, which can't save you. Let's continue with the argument, verse four. So the figure of Melchizedek is still in use here. He's highlighting Jesus, so verse four. Now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth Of the choicest spoils, so the author of Hebrews is pointing out how great Melchizedek was because he's even greater than Father Abraham because Abraham gave him a tenth of all the plunder he took in the war. So obviously Abraham saw in Melchizedek one who was worthy of his tithe for his role in being a priest of the Most High God. Verse five. Verse five. And those indeed. This is interesting. And those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is from their brethren, although these are descended from Abraham. (laughs) This is why we preach through books of the Bible, right? (laughs) Verse by verse. I mean, who's going to preach a topical message on this? What in the world is it saying here? What's going on is that the author he breaks out this description of the Levitical priesthood. And sometime after Abraham, you remember, the descendants from the tribe of Levi were to be the priests. And the law required these Levites to collect a tithe from the people of Israel in order to live and serve as priests. So the Israelites, as you know, are all descended from Abraham, but the Levites were to collect a tithe from the rest of the people in Israel. Verse 6, but the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Let's follow the flow. So Levi is is not connected to Melchizedek in this sense, that Melchizedek did not trace his descent from Levi. Why? (laughs) Because he's not even born yet. Levi, not even born, because Levi was a descendant of Abraham. So in a sense, you could say Levi was still inside Abraham. Yet, Melchizedek gets this tithe from Abraham and blesses Abraham who had the promises. And the promises we saw last week and the weeks before is many descendants, a nation would come from them, And they would all come from the descendants of Abraham. Yet it's not Abraham who's blessing Melchizedek and giving him, you know, blessing him, but it's Melchizedek blessing Abraham and collecting a tenth from Abraham. Who is greater in this scenario? Melchizedek. Who is lesser? It is Abraham. Verse 8. Stick with us. Verse 8. In this case, mortal men receive tithes. But in that case, one receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. So the first case is the collection of the tithe by the Levites who die. But the tithe collected here is by Melchizedek, and we have no record of his death. It's as if he kept living on. So this is in a true limited sense in applying to Melchizedek, but it's also true in an absolute sense in applying to our high priest Jesus Christ. And then we finish up and explain here. Look at 9 and 10. And, so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So here's the rationale here, if you can even follow. The picture here is that Levi and his descendants are the ones who collect the tithe from Israel, but since they are not yet born, it's as if they are still in the body of Abraham, and it's as if they, through Abraham, paid the tithe to Melchizedek while they were still in the body of Abraham. Wow, what, what logic there, that's crazy. So let me just kind of little summarize here and put it all together for you. So the Melchizedek, Priesthood is superior to Levitical priesthood for four reasons. I have this slide. Here are the four reasons why the Melchizedekian priesthood is superior to the Levitical priesthood. Here are the four reasons. Number one, Abraham paid a tithe to Melchizedek, not by verse. Verse two, Melchizedek blessed Abraham. Number three, Melchizedek is declared to be living while the Levites died. No father, no mother, no end, no beginning. Number four, Levites also paid a tithe to Melchizedek through Abraham. And you're still wondering, what is the point of all this? The point of all this is showing the superiority of the priesthood of Melchizedek is not to highlight Melchizedek, but it's to highlight Jesus. Jesus is the eternal, superior high priest, that saves forever. All other priests are inferior and temporary and do not save, but Jesus saves forever. Why would you ever leave him to go to that which is inferior? Why would you do that? Why would you give up eternal life to turn to something that's just temporary? He's really pressing in on them. It's like, why are you going through the motions of doing this God thing? when it does not save it's on your own terms you're turning back to something that was meant to be temporary you're turning back to something that's not going to save you well, why would you do that you need to press into the eternal priesthood of jesus that jesus is the only one who saves through his life death and resurrection he's the only one that's going to give you true life why do you play around with these religious motions or just trying to let's just follow god without without christmas and easter let's just leave jesus out of the picture And then we come back to us and we go, okay, well, we're, we're in church. We're believers. We follow Jesus, but how can we fall into these hints or little traps of doing the God thing? And this is the way I want to end. I want to kind of just run through some things that you could be doing, living your life on your own terms, and yet claiming to follow Christ, even as believers where we, we get sidetracked. So the first hint that you may be doing this is that you listen to Amy Grant and you listen to some other music. And I'm not talking about just secular music. I'm talking about bad stuff. And it's just, I'm just giving imagery here of what I used to do. Which means that you say, you know what? I'm gonna follow you, Jesus, but I'm not gonna give up this other portion of my life. This other sinful thing, I've gotta hold on to it because if I'm gonna manage my pain, if I'm going to manage the hurt I've I've en- endured all these years. I've got to have this little side thing here, so I'll 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 do all the religious thing here. I'll go to church, get in the word, and everything. But I got to keep this thing because this thing keeps me alive. Even though it's sinful, but I I need it to sustain me. That is playing games with God. That's saying, God, I know best. I'm going to hold on to this. And yet, he's saying, give me your all. He offers you grace, he offers you forgiveness, and he'll offer you deliverance and freedom for leaving that stuff behind. Well, the second hint that you may be doing the God thing is that, oh, this is a good one. I was thinking about this. (laughs) Maybe you're doing the God thing if you're just rushing through your times in the word and prayer this is convicting because sometimes we get into such a habit of doing our quiet time that we almost we almost make it look like it's our it's our priestly sacrifice like it's okay I'm going to do this I do it every morning I get in the word I pray this is whatever 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 amen and we just kind of get through going through the motions anybody been doing that recently yeah oh yeah it's like i'm just i'm just i don't even know what i'm reading i don't even know what i'm doing i'm just i just know it's the habit i have and we need to be careful. Is it just a habit? Which can be good, but are we really slowing down, drawing near to the Lord, and talking to Him, letting His Word to speak to us every day, not just going through the motions, not just doing the God thing, but we're approaching the Father through Jesus and slowing down. You can actually slow down and read the Word and have a Access to God, no matter what. Well, number three hint that you may be doing the God thing, and this is probably pretty convicting to many of us. um, You're one way around your family and another way around others. Anybody? How many of you and your wife were throwing down on the way to church today, in the car? It always happens on Sunday morning. And then you come here, you're all smiles. We need to be careful that we're not one way around church folk and totally different around our families because your kids know they see that stuff. Your spouse knows and God knows guys. Can I talk to you for a second? Did you know the Bible actually says if you're treating your wife poorly, God will not answer your prayers. You're like, is that really in the Bible? It is really in the Bible. Come ask me where it's at later and I'll tell you. It matters how we act around people closest to us. If we're acting totally different when we come here, we're just doing the God thing. Well, then there's some people who maybe have a hint of doing this God thing. And the fourth thing I want to mention is that you want God, but you don't want his people. That means you want God, but you don't really like church people and you don't want to be around them. And I know that many people are are watching online because of of health reasons and a variety of other circumstances, but maybe some are watching online because they just don't want to be around church people. That's not good. And the last thing I want to say, and I just want to kind of revert back to my life before I knew Jesus, I was full blown doing the religious thing. It's just amazing to me when I think back before I knew Christ on how religious I was. I went to church, I read the Bible, I had bumper stickers, I had fish necklaces and crosses. And all type of religious stuff. But I was living my life in rebellion against God. I neither submitted to Jesus Christ nor put my faith and trust in him. And you may have been doing that your whole life. But the good news is today's the day to stop. Today's the day that you can come before the Lord and receive forgiveness and grace and mercy through his life, death, and resurrection. And you can start to walk in his ways as he's outlined in his word rather than your ways and mixing that with some type of religious motions. doesn't matter if you've made this claim through your whole life. Today, you can say, I'm just done with the games. I'm gonna follow Jesus.
0: We hope you enjoyed this message.